I'm Jason Sylvia, and this is The Creative Capital Show. A show about creative people and how those creative people turn into entrepreneurs by taking their creativity and turning it into a business and facing all the trials and tribulations along the way. Family, food, and heritage. Three words that for this episode's guest, Joaquin Meza, are deeply interconnected. Joaquin is the owner of Dolores, a family-run restaurant that focuses on Mexican cuisine, specifically from the Mixteca region of Puebla and Oaxaca. While Joaquin is the owner, the real star of the show is his mother, Chef Maria Meza, who some consider the queen of Mexican cuisine in Rhode Island. Joaquin never planned to be in the restaurant business. In fact, his first restaurant, El Rancho Grande, wasn't his dream at all. It was his mother's. Over time, Joaquin didn't just survive in the restaurant business. He thrived, creating one of the best tequila and mezcal bar programs in the state. While El Rancho brought Joaquin and his family success and made them a pillar in their community, a chance encounter during a trip to Mexico had Joaquin wondering what type of story was El Rancho telling and set him on a path to tell his story about his Mexico through food. Enjoy. Joaquin. What is up? Thank you. Thank you for just being willing to do this and, and coming on the show. No, my pleasure, um, my pleasure. Man. I've been listening to, to a few of the other uh, guests that were on and it was pretty awesome, pretty interesting stuff. Appreciate it. So, so thanks for you know, If you're listening to this episode, you should go listen to the other episodes because according to Joaquin, they're they're good. And you know, Joaquin knows a lot of things about mezcal and tequila and coffee, which we're drinking right now in, in Dolores. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna talk about Dolores in a little bit. And Joaquin, I know you're the star of you know of this episode, but um, and this was with all due respect to you. I think when it comes to Dolores and El Rancho Grande, for those that are outside province, we'll get into that in a bit as well. Um, I think with this whole family-run operation, I would not say you're the star. I would say the star would be uh, Miss, you know, Mrs. Maria Maria Meza. Correct, correct. I would you're, say that she's, she's the star. Like if there was a band, she'd be the lead singer. If this was uh, if this was uh, like Woodstock, she'd be the headliner. She would be. You know. Um, so I want to start with that because I think that from. Uh, and we'll get into the tactical stuff, too. So if you, if you have been listening to the show or if you've never listened to the show, um, just trying to talk to creative people, get their stories, but then also a lot of the tactical things that people have to deal with. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that. But I want to start off uh, with Maria, because I think with this family-run business um, and just with like the family lineage, I think starting with her makes the most sense. And one thing I did notice, this was just in my, my research, there was a story because like Maria now Maria Meza is, is known for just being like this queen and she is queen of like Mexican cooking in, in Providence Rhode Island and possibly New England maybe even broader than that but you know for those of you that are not from that are not within the Providence Rhode Island area if you're listening to this globally first off thank you um, and secondly um, you know Maria Meza is kind of like a big deal when it comes to Mexican cuisine here but it wasn't always that way and so I have a question because I was in doing my research there's a story about tuna fish sandwiches. Hundred percent. If you wanna, if you wanna expound on that a little bit, because I thought this was really interesting, because like um, Maria in the beginning didn't always have this like 
really amazing background Mexican cooking. And it, it starts with the story of, I guess, how she met when she was like either dating or how she met your 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 dad at the at the. That's some great research. Okay, though. appreciate. It. Can you can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So my mother, back in the seventies. She moved to New York. Uh, a lot of her sisters and brothers have moved, you know, early 70s to New York City. So she followed suit. She ended up in New York City as a young uh, 16, 15, 16-year-old. Uh, uh, lived in New York for about five, six years. Went back to... No worries. <laughs> we record all the interruptions, so it's yeah. good. Okay. Actually, we're close today. We're close. Yeah, we're close on Tuesdays. But if you need to use your restroom, you, you can, for sure. Place is so popular, people come through when it's closed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, the story about the tuna fish sandwiches. So, tuna fish sandwiches. Yeah, so my mom lived in you know her early years, New York City. So she was not in charge of cooking. She was in school. Uh, uh, she was starting to become like a, a, a beautician, a beauty school, all that. She actually graduated. She has a diploma from New York City. Uh, she had a license. Uh, she was licensed to uh, work in New York. Moves back uh, late 70s. Her father had passed away. My grandfather passed away. And she was maybe 20, 19, 20. So she didn't know how to cook at all. Brought back a whole bunch of cans of tuna fish sandwich and Lipton uh, uh, soups and packets. Lipton soup packets? Yeah. She brought all that. Uh, my dad was stationed. My dad was in the military in Mexico. He was stationed in our little hometown of Piaxla Puebla, southern Mexico. And he, you know, big, you know, dark, handsome dude, uh, working out on the rooftop of, of the military barracks next to where uh, I grew up and next to where my mom had lived. So my mom, so this guy, he was like, oh, so they started, you know, getting to know each other. So my mom was like, I'm going to invite this guy over for dinner. Uh, my mom invites my dad over, and she only knew how to cook Lipton soup and tuna fish sandwiches. So she puts this together, my dad comes over, and my dad doesn't know how to eat this way. He's used to, you know, big, bigger meals, you know, uh, uh, stews, meats, tortillas, beans, rice. And he's like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't it. So they send a little uh, cousin of my mom to go to the, the town square where my dad usually ate. And the lady sent over like four or five servings or whatever, you know, food she had for the day. And my mom felt so embarrassed that she said, this will never happen to me again. I need to learn how to cook. And actually, it was my grandmother who had passed away, not my grandfather. So she knew how to cook very little from the sisters and my grandmother. But the... You're welcome. No problem. Um, so the family elders, aunts and uncles were the ones that my mom started seeking advice from. How do you cook this? How do you, beans, even beans, rice, rice, or rice. So that's how it started. So it was just, so the reason why my mom cooks, and she's the star of the show by far. She's, you know, we're just her sidekicks. It's, you're, you're the backing band. Yeah, and it's my dad. My dad is the reason why my mom learned how to cook. And even though my dad has, people have, you know, might see my dad in the streets, they have no idea who this guy is. Because he just takes such a background um, lead. And, yeah, that's, that's actually pretty good uh, research here, because not a lot of people know this type of stuff. I, I appreciate it. Like I said, I've said it on a previous episode with, uh, with, with Mike, shameless self, cross-self-promotion with uh, Michael Silva. Go listen to that episode. Mm. But um, I'm trying to be, trying to get my Nardwar on as far as my research and the questions. So appreciate it, man. Um, so was that, was that really, like, the main catalyst of your uh, of Maria's like 
journey into cooking? Was that the main thing? Were, were there other factors at play, or was that it? Like, that was the main... That, that, was, that was the main one. She just trying to either impress my dad, or... And then, you know, eventually they, they got married, you know, we were born, and she still, you know, kept seeking that, you know, re, you know uh, relying on, on the elders, you know, how to cook, you know, regional food from where, you know, from where we're from. And to this day, and then as we... We're growing. We're like, Mom, we, we want to get tacos, you know, carnitas tacos at the corner, you know. And she was like, no, nah, I'll just cook that for you. Because she didn't want us to go eating junk food. And it was always her, just she liked the kitchen. She always, she always enjoyed it. Um, and that was the catalyst uh, of that. But the idea of her owning a restaurant was never, you know, the end result uh, of, of that beginning, you know, in late 70s. It was just a way to keep a home together, I guess. Like so, going along with that, right? Because like your mom didn't start off as a cook by trade. She was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. She was in Puebla, and she was a hairdresser. She was a hairdresser. So same, yeah. So you know, because she had the background, she had graduated from school in in New York, went back to Mexico. I was born, and she just stayed there. My dad had left the army, worked with, uh, with another uncle in Mexico. So my mom put her little salon in 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 her house. She she was a hairdresser. She was she was probably one of the only, at the time, uh, town hairdressers. So she did everybody's perm. The 80s were, you know, heavy on the perms. <laughs> I remember sitting, you know, in my living room watching, you know, 50 ladies with rollers in their hair. My mom's applying, you know, chemicals in their heads. It's, that was, that's what she did. That's what she made a living. So when we left Mexico, she kind of didn't want to pursue that. Uh, but that was a thing that she knew she could rely on. She knew how to do. And, yeah, but that was, that's what she did in Mexico. Was it... Puebla and then New York, or was it directly to Providence? And why New York first? Right. So it was Puebla, and then we actually did end up in New York. My dad had lived there in uh, in the late '80s. So my dad, after left leaving the military, worked with a couple of relatives, um, just you know helping out. Uh, one was a rancher and things like that. But my dad knew that you know it wasn't his business. He didn't know what else to do. And there was, we have family in New York. A lot of our, okay. our well, my mom's brothers and sisters have, you know, even back in the 50s, there was a, a huge exodus from our hometown to New York. And they have established businesses. Um, one of the first tortilla companies in New York City was by relatives, you know, front cover of Forbes magazine and New York Times. That's in crazy. 80s. So they had, there was a huge uh, population of our relatives living there. So when my dad left Mexico, was to go to New York. So he lived there five, six years. And then he's like, yeah, we guys, you know, we were getting older. So like, you know, you should come to the U.S. and get an education here. And we decided to, to live in Puebla to New York. But it was 91, maybe, 92. So New York City, Brooklyn was, you know, rough. It was, you know, aggressive place. It's, yeah, it's way different than the Brooklyn. Right. I think it was uh, having Colin Quinn on... Um on comedians in cars when they were going, he and Jerry Simon were going through Brooklyn and Colin Quinn's like, yeah, you know, it was like uh, all the young white kids in the early 90s were blood sacrifice. Right. And that's why you have the Brooklyn you got now. For 100%. So we ended up, we did come to, to New York because we had relatives there, but we had another uncle that, that lives here. He actually owns Viva Mexico and Garibaldi, uh, Mexican restaurants in Providence also. Oh, I didn't know that there was, there was a connection between them. That's my mom's brother. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So then when we landed in New York, my dad was like, yeah, I don't want to raise you guys here. So they had the option of, my uncle had, you know, said you guys should come here. So we just 
came straight to Providence. So we might have been maybe a day or two in New York City. Um, but yeah, it was Providence. So people are surprised, like, why, you know, Puebla and Providence? Like, where's the connection? Uh, that was going to be my next question. Like, what led you from New... Like, what was the catalyst of going from New York to Providence? So it's you had family in Providence. Providence and, right. and they were just like, hey, come here. To, yeah, yeah. It'll be safer than yeah. the, uh, the old Brooklyn. The old Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> and, and I just, you know, it was just a difference in culture. You know, huge city, New York City, versus coming from a small town in the state of Puebla, population maybe 2,000. So for us coming to a small town like Providence in 92, you know, it was, it was, it felt like going to this, the, the state of Puebla, Puebla City, because that's where we visit often. It felt very similar, smaller town, smaller city. And it was, it, it was very similar. It was a good feeling to, to come to a place that you kind of felt secure and kind of, it wasn't overwhelming like New York City. So Providence felt a little bit more like your original home yeah. rather than, so it was like, kind of like a, Pueblo to Brooklyn, it's like holy crap. Yeah. But then Brooklyn to Providence, it was like, oh, this feels this feels a little bit more familiar, more like home. It's a little bit For sure. not as a crazy pace. Mm-hmm. And so it's like Puebla and Mexico City. We also had relatives in Mexico City, so we would visit Puebla, and Mexico City often. Yeah. So we we knew the difference of the big city. I'm like, whoa, overwhelming. You get lost, and you know, you turn your back. You have no idea where you're at now. So, so you got a, you got a taste of, of both sides. Yeah. So that that was you know the reason why we ended up in, in Providence. And so with your family being in Providence, did your both your mom and dad work in a jewelry factory they did yeah so when we first came my mom worked at my uncle's restaurant for a few months and my dad got a job uh, a small jewelry company off of like Elmwood Ave so my dad would have to take the bus you know, from we lived like the Mount Pleasant area at that time Mount Pleasant downtown downtown uh, Elmwood Ave it's a small little jewelry store um, jewelry shop so he was like in charge of like casting and polishing so he worked that for a long time then my mom uh, left my uncle's restaurant she was only there for a few a few months maybe just you know while we got our feet you know on the ground and then my mom got a job also the same factory uh, owned by a Portuguese uh, family that they, they've been in touch since then and then they that little company got bought out by a bigger company so they went to another uh, smaller company owned by a couple of Portuguese uh, friends of theirs so they're not friends um, that's what they did for a long time. And so, you know, uh, it was maybe 96, 97, 98. I was graduating high school, and my mom was like, you know, this isn't, I don't want to keep doing this forever. I'm getting old. There's going to be a time where I'm going to be replaced because I can't, you know, I'm not as fast, I'm not as young, and this is not my, my job, not my business. We should find a way to maybe start a restaurant or, or a small taco shop. She just wanted a taco shop, taco shop. So I kept hearing this, taco shop, taco shop. You know, went to college for a couple of years, quit school. My girlfriend at the time got pregnant, and I was already out of school anyways. So then a couple of months, years later, I was buying a house with my, uh, with my uh, wife then, and my mom comes along, and she's like, hey, there's a building around the corner from here that's for sale, and it's a restaurant downstairs. What are the, you know, we should look into it. And I know what she meant by that, because she had already just bought a house. You know, we don't, we don't have a lot of means uh, of... You know, disposable income to start dropping another. You know, so she, so she had bought a house. The house we were living in then, yeah. The ho- and, and then I was you buying and your house, wife was, yeah. were buying a house, and then your mom's like, um, and by the way, this is not Dolores, which we'll get into. This is the, um, the, the uh, first restaurant, El Rancho Grande. So this was in on Plainfield Street. Plainfield, yeah. I'm just saying this for the people that don't know Providence right. geography, right? In the Oneyville section, correct. Um, and she found that building, and she was just like, oh, hey, we should look into it. Right. Um, 
and I'm glad you're like you're almost like pretty. We didn't plan this, people. So if you're thinking that that we've talked about this before, it's just is just really good conversation. I'm glad you're going in this direction, and not to sidetrack you, but just curious. We were talking about before your mom not having the cooking skills. How were her cooking skills evolving? Because she was like, oh, I want the taco shop, but she's you know working the jewelry thing. Was she just like cooking for you guys just growing up and like that's how she was honing her skills? Yeah. Or was she doing other things too? No, no, she was just cooking at home. And she, you know, it was a, the jewelry uh, job she had. And in the evening she did a, uh, for a couple of years, uh, housekeeping for, uh, I forget, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield out in like Warwick. She, she, she would go work uh, four nights a week there. After work, she'll come in cook in between the job leaves to go you know four hours of, of, of housekeeping her my dad uh, my sister and a couple of the friends and she just honed her skills by just by cooking for us just just the at-bats of That's being with it. the family it, yeah. it wasn't even like other spots it was no, just the just, at-bats just, of that yeah that, that, that was it and so she she kept saying hey i want a little taco yeah. shop hey i want a little taco shop and um Correct me if I'm wrong. Did did she and 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 your dad get laid off from the jewelry company at a, at a point, or she was she did get laid, laid off. Something happened at the time where she came. She had just gotten laid off, correct? And she saw the building. She's like, you know, maybe if there's a chance. I don't know what she meant. She's like, you know, instead of you buying your house for your family, you should buy this fucking building. And let's put a shop there. Because the building was what, like family homes up top or right. apartments or something, two, two and then apartments. like the restaurant on the correct. ground floor, yeah. correct? Yeah. Okay. So we looked at it. The price wasn't bad. It needed some work. But the idea, I'm like, man, this could be a place where we could grow into something bigger. And I, I went back and talked to my wife, I'm like, hey, this is what's happening. My mom can't buy it. Instead of buying this house, we should buy this. And then, you know. Because you couldn't rent the space, right? It was just. No, it was just you, for you, sale. So you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't be like, hey, let's just, let's just rent the bottom rent dock, the Or like, let's buy just the bottom. He's like, you had to buy the entire yeah, building, yeah. So the, the, the units, gentleman, yeah. and the restaurant. Yeah, okay, the gentleman was crazy. selling the whole building. Not the business, just the, the, the building. And he had just. Uh, the lady who owned the restaurant there, her lease was up. So he wasn't going to renew the lease. He wasn't even selling. There was nothing salvageable there. Like, they had to go. So we decided to buy the building. And my mom goes, oh, let's do a, a taco shop, right? And then she comes back with a menu that was like the size of a book because she wanted to do everything she knew how to do. And we, you know, was new to the business. We didn't know what the heck we were doing then anyways. But I knew that that was way too much for, for a menu. So we trimmed the menu down. I was doing construction then at the time. So I was pretty much in charge of building the whole thing out. After work, I would come home, go work there for a few hours. That's what probably took so long. Then it was, you know, the, the housing market crash before that, or previous to that, but... Yeah, it was just, it took long because we didn't have the funds, so I did all the construction. She refinanced the house to, you know, get some money to, to put this business together. And it was it was her dream, it was not my dream. I was, I was going to actually, that goes, you know, a couple of questions I had. One being, so there were family units up top. Did you, so she, she had refinanced the house you um, we were living, so in, you grew, yeah. we were living yeah. in. So did you and your wife already buy a house and then you saw this building or you end up living in the building that you no, we bought? Just, no, we stayed in, in the apartment uh, that my mom, um, it was a three, uh, two-story building uh, on Webster Ave that we lived in. So we stayed in the apartment there. We just stayed living there. So the capital to buy this building, was this just like you poured your life savings yeah, yeah. into it? Uh, some of what we had saved, some of the, what she had saved and, and that was that. That's yeah. how that's how you got the capital yeah. for it, and it wasn't even your your dream, like you said. So was it just more like I want to do this thing for my mom, yeah. or there are other things where no, that, that was that it. was it. It was, a, it was like I I couldn't say no. Yeah, it's, it's like just, it's my mom. It's, it's my mom. What am I gonna do? Like you know, this is because I knew that she 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 had just gotten laid off, 
and I'm like, you know, she doesn't want to do this anymore. This is this is it. Like, and she's gonna do it by, on her own. I'm gonna continue work. I'm gonna start my own construction company soon, and then I, you know, we'll figure out a way to for me to buy a house later. Like, this is, you know, if it doesn't work, we'll sell the damn building and we move on, right? That was the idea, I first, and then two years later, construction. That was when the uh, the Warwick uh, nightclub fire happened. Well, the station nightclub station fire, nightclubs, yeah. yeah. So then they had to revise, you know, the, the fire safety plan. It took a little longer. So eventually, two years later, we opened this restaurant and opened the doors. I'm like, here you go, mom, you're on your own. And I started having to help her here and there. And it just became, I had to get more involved. I just needed more work. You know, we didn't, we didn't know how to run a business. You know, like, it's not just cooking. You know, there's so much stuff. You know, that goes into, you know, the books, the, the help, you know, buying, making sure, you know, listening to Jen's podcast there, you know, how she cocktails, how you got to cost them out. You got to do the same thing with food. Right. If you're not meeting your, your you know, your, 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 you can't just price it because your neighbor selling tacos are the same, you know, a dollar fifty. Right. If you're, you know, you don't know how much he's paying for meat, you know, and if you're buying the wrong meat, you, you, you don't make profits. We didn't know that then. It was just like, we just need people in, right? Because people, you know, means money. And, you know, the more people, you eventually turn profits. And then a year later, the housing market crashed. And then we went from starting just to get busy to just being dead. You know, with a new restaurant that was just a year old. And then, yeah, so then I, I got sucker into it. I hated going there. It was not my dream. Like, I was not a, I'm sitting here so talking it wasn't to a, you. So it wasn't a family affair at first where it's like, hey, the whole family's going in. It was just like, mom, we did. Mom, just, mom wanted this building. I did it for you, mom. Then you were like, I'm going to slowly back out. This is all you. But then you're, re- then like, you're realizing, all right, help. my mom knows how to cook, but like, does not price anything. She needs help. And I'm assuming that like, even when you went to college, you said you left college, but like, mm-hmm. even when you were studying in college, was, was it anything to do with business or any of that? No. So this was like new territory for everybody. Yeah, for everyone, yeah. And it's just, we're all going to have to figure this out. And it's a lot of DIY, right? right? Because all the capital went into just That's buying it. the building. So there's a lot of just figuring stuff yeah. out. Um, I want to focus on that a little bit before transitioning because I, I think I think this is where like the really the gems of information come from, especially for people trying to do this. Mm-hmm. So this is just like we're figuring it out as we go. Yeah. Um, even just building every stuff, like building codes and stuff like that. What were like some of the other hurdles? Because I'm guessing like, oh, oh, wait, we have to get licenses to sell food and right. like food safety. Right. Like, you know, N- not um, knowing maybe and bar the, license too. Yeah, which I'm wondering. At the That's time, kind of, we didn't know, you know, that you need all these permits and licenses. So you kind of just maybe we didn't know there was a place where you could go, like a like a Providence business. I don't know, association and city hall, let's say, right? We don't know that there was a thing. So you go to city hall to get a permit for building, right? You got to go to the building department, you get it. And then like, oh, you need a permit, you know, for food. Then you got to go to the health department, you get it. And then the inspector comes along, you're like, oh, you need this. Now you got to go apply for the stupid thing. I think that's why it took a little longer because we didn't know the necessary steps to get there. I I had heard that there were like, um, and this could, correct me if I'm wrong, that like, your permits were on their last day, like on your opening day or something like that. What, like, so they were gonna run out. Yeah, because we kept. So we applied, and so we opened in 07. So 2005, we finally got everything lined up, permits going, and we run towards them. We were kind of running out of funds already, and the fire alarm was not completed, and just little things were not being done because we kept. You know, we we were new to this game, so we didn't know that. We didn't have a plan, let's say like a building plan. So we're like, oh, we need tiles for the floor. Let's go to the store and see what we could get. 
it wasn't that we had specifically everything lined up. So we were tackling the issues as they were presented instead of you know having a here's plan. The, here's the business right, plan. Is, here's this plan. Here's that. This is a building plan. You know, let's build it out. And we know like. Now, now we knew this. When we built this, you know, we knew what tiles we wanted. We knew what kind of floor. So then, you know, it was already specked out. So when that time came, you know, material was there. So it was more of a timely matter. So then it was that type of stuff where we're finding that we needed things as we permits, not just material, just permits. And I'm, and I'm just going to take a, like, wild guess here because I want your opinion on this. Was So there was no, like, central, like, cause, like, now, like, you can go on LegalZoom and figure stuff out or you can, mm-hmm. like, probably read a blog. But there was no, like, centralized resource, at least that you knew of at the time that when I, you were yeah. doing that that could like help you every step of the way and I'm like was the city helpful at all or even just going into these resources of like hey you need to do this stuff for us or was it more just like sprint than roadblock sprint than roadblock it w- they were helpful if you showed up to ask the right question but it's like how do you know that right. that's the right question yeah. gotcha so when you got there they were like oh yeah you need to go to this address and ask for this person and he'll help you out it was it was like that. It wasn't like you went to a one stop shop and you got it all. It, it was kind of like that more. If you had the right questions, it was those was the right answers. But if you don't know the questions to ask, there wasn't an answer for you. So you said in the early days you hated going there. How did you, like how did you just deal with it and get through Cause it? Because I, I wasn't a social person, and then being in front of the house, you have to talk to people. Yep. You have to interact. Uh, deal with customers. So you, you wanted to be or you were more of the business books guy, but then you were kind of thrown into the front of house yeah, thing? Yeah, just because uh, Sundays we didn't have a server. So I guess who's going to show up and serve on Sunday morning because nobody else would. I had to, you know, just everything my mom needed, I'm like, I couldn't say no. Just uh, that's how I grew up. And so Sunday started working and it was a Wednesday night, it was a Friday night and it just wasn't even the books. And then, then I just found myself being there more. And then I realized, I'm like, well, this construction thing sucks. Like, my body's getting beat up. It's 10 years of this. I didn't start my company yet. Do I really want to do that? Or I started like, I, I kind of realized, I'm like, yeah, I kind of like this stuff now. Do there's a chance for me to, if I could, you know, get deep into this, maybe I could do something else later and use this as a stepping stone. And, and it just became that, where I'm like, I learned to love it. And, and then I just, yeah, it was just the food though. Like, it wasn't even the bar wasn't even a thing then. We we're just doing beer and wine at the time, um, and I just got sucked into it and I and started enjoying it because I started hating construction, so I started enjoying the lesser yeah, evil. You know I what? Guess. This is not as bad. I'm not breaking my back every <laughs> yeah, day. Like, yeah, yeah. it's it's a different kind of work. Yeah, you don't have a guy yelling at you and like calling you lazy when you're like, <laughs> dude, you haven't seen what I've done in the last five hours. Um, was it originally as far as the business goes um, of of El Rancho? Was it initially? Your mom and dad, you and your wife, or were there other family members involved as well, or was it just you? No, my, my brother Marco, same thing. Young kid, fourteen years old. He was our dishwasher for a year because we didn't have a dishwasher. So it's like, hey, you're washing Here dishes you go. now, buddy. Day one, uh, Marco and his brother. I mean, his friends, just hanging a bunch of little kids hanging around there, washing dishes. Yeah, you're, you're making some yeah. money. We're gonna put you to work. Same thing. He didn't. He didn't have a. He didn't have a choice. He just got sucked in. So he was four, He can't say no. He's fourteen. Yeah, like, listen, you're part of the family business now. Yeah. So this is and, and that's how it became a family thing. And we knew that. You know, we knew the the common goal. The common goal was to to somehow be successful, right? To have something you call your own and 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 find a way to make it happen. That's how we grew up, right? And, and everyone, you know, I saw how my how hard my parents worked. My brother Marco sees it. My wife sees it. So like, how can you, how can you not help, right? How can you not be part of it? And then when you realize, like, well, maybe this is a thing. We could, we have some. 
and then maybe like a year after we opened, a year and a half, we started realizing that we started uh, pulling people from not just the neighborhood, you know, Onyville at that time was. I was gonna say, can you talk about the 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 Onyville then right. compared to now, For and sure. especially those who don't know Providence Rhode Island geography and stuff? Um, what was Onyville like then, and why Onyville? Um, and if you compare the Onyville of then to now, because right. I think that's important to know. Right. You know, part you know, most important part of a business is location. I, I feel, especially for a restaurant, we didn't pick that because it, we did a market research and we had a business plan and we thought that hey, this neighborhood, we could boom here. It was just we lived you know, block and a half away from there, and that was the building that was available at the time. And our friend who was the listing realtor then. Um, you know, made it easy for us to acquire this thing. It was just that. Like, it couldn't happen any other way. It probably could have. We just weren't smart enough. We didn't know enough. You know, it was not smart. We just didn't know enough. And it was just the place that it had to happen. And it happened then. And Oneville was not a, a booming neighborhood. It was full of prostitution, drugs, uh, you know, shootings, fights, you name it. So Onlyville was like old Brooklyn? <laughs> yeah, really. The place we try to avoid, here we are. <laughs> right in the middle of it. And across the street from Rancho, the Walgreens wasn't there. It was just a plaza that had, uh, you know, maybe a Subway, a convenience store, Chinese food, nails, a bakery maybe. And it just revolving restaurants or, or, or businesses there. And, you know, it was your local drug dealer would hang out there and... You know, we had prostitutes and people coming in and to do drugs in our bathroom at Rancho the first year. That you know, they, we didn't want that type of people, and it was hard to, you know, to operate that way. But that's what Rancho was the first, the first year. It was kind of like you know, I'm like guy, you know, you're going in there for 20 minutes, and like I have to go like pick you up from the can. ground with a needle in your arm, and you know, we don't want to operate that way. So, but that's what it was at the time. That's gonna lead into my. Um Next question before I want to go into it, because you're talking about success. What did you and your family define as success in the beginning? Was it like, hey, we got to hit like this much in like profit this month, this month, or it's like, hey, people are in the building, like that's great. That's like, like, what did you define as success in the beginning, in those beginning years at El Rancho? Success at the beginning years was we're paying bills, we're eating. You know, it's not even money left over for vacation. It was like so. It's keep the lights on and survive. Yeah, and it felt like you know that we had enough to pay mortgage, you know, at home and this building. The lights were on. We're not behind on on bills. We're not picking and choosing which bill we're gonna pay Friday in hopes that this weekend we get a really good weekend and Monday we could pay everything else. Right, that was success, and that came maybe a, two years after we opened, 2009. And also, we started getting success. Was also having seeing a, a, a Porsche SUV parked in front of a Rancho or, or a Range Rover from like you know some white person that came from Barrington or Bristol or or, or you know Newport that heard of us. Oh, I'm gonna get into that in a little bit. And and, and they took you know the drive, the adventure to go to Onaville because that's we started noticing like the our clientele started changing every randomly. Because um, people started coming in like, oh, this, this is awesome hole in the wall, you know, in Onerville. And be, it became a thing where people started like, well, you know, we've heard of this place. And so we started uh, taking, uh, um, so we started doing a newsletter. So we would get their emails and their zip codes so we could see where people were coming. Because we also needed to get a full liquor license. And we wanted to show the board 
then like, hey, we're no longer, you know, your local drunken neighborhood bar. Like, we're actually bringing people from all over the state. We can't just keep serving beer and wine. We need tequila. We need, you know, to upgrade our, our experience. Not to go to a side, so you were, you were applying for a liquor license in the board or whatnot. And if you could describe what, what the name of that board is just for people yeah, who are the, wondering the, about this. The liquor... Uh, the liquor board, liquor licensing uh, um, division. And so you applied to get the liquor license, and what, like, what it? So it, what it's, I'm guessing it's not just as easy as going applying and then you fill out forms right. and you pay money. Um, did they request that you show these, these no. kind of things, or was it just more to help like convince them? Just help to, convince like, like okay. that you know your project that you're building because of Oneville, right? So when we first opened, we did have a, a, a liquor license, but it was just beer and wine. So going back to the original question, right? The, the license, uh, the permits were running out because we had applied in 05, and then we kept going for reviews. When are you opening? It was just beer and wine. And every three months we went to a hearing and we're like, well, we're not ready yet, but we still want this license, we're not ready. And then they're like, all right, like if you don't open within this time period, you're gonna have to reapply and start over. So 2007 and Cinco de Mayo was the last weekend where our license was going to expire on Monday. So that's what we had to open. And thankfully, everything was ready, and we opened then. So we opened our, uh, just a beer and wine license. And then two years later, we're like, well, we started bringing people that they're constantly asking for margaritas or tequila. We don't have that. They're going to go to a place that has Mexican food and has what we don't have. We need to, you know, find a way. So our councilwoman at the area, Josephine DeRusso, who had been there forever, um, didn't want to okay any new liquor licenses there because she had just been trying to clean up the area. No more, you know, drunken uh, halls. You know. So it's it's beyond just like applying for licenses. Like there's yeah. like all these other factors that you that like maybe a business is not going to think about like the area and like what yeah. the politics of that area yeah. is going to be. The neighborhood they don't want that anymore. And the neighborhood. Yeah. And so wow, so you had to deal with all that. Yeah. Okay. So then we went to apply. So my mom was good friends with the councilwoman. So you had already pitched her the idea. We need this. And she said, uh, soundly, no. I, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. I just got, I fought so hard to clean this area up, I cannot give you one. Because if I give you one, then everybody else is going to have one. And I can't just do it for you and not for the rest. So she said, no. So we withdrew the application at first time because it was not going to pass. Only because she didn't want to. The board might have a different opinion, but we didn't even go through the process. So a couple of, maybe a year later, we're like, yeah, we, we need this. So we sat it down at Rancho and we're like, hey, this is what we're doing. This, are, 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 um, this is where the people are coming. Like, they need the experience that we don't have. And she actually got really upset and got up from the table and walked out. Jeez. So we're like, well, if she's being that much of a bitch, that she's not even willing to listen to us, then fuck her. Let's go to the city hall well, and, we'll and have the board, the board say and, no. Yeah, and, and, and not her. Get, get the direct answer right. instead of going through this middle person. Like, so, let's just go to the top. So we went, applied, started going through the process, and she realized that it wasn't her opinion that didn't matter because she was also losing the local election to oh. uh, Sabina Matos at that time was running against her. Okay. So she realized she was losing. So she kind of wanted to save face, I think. And she calls her, okay, you know what? Uh, yeah, I'm going to okay this. I'm like, well, I don't think you had a choice, but whatever, right? Like, is it really up to you? Yeah, because... Yeah, and then, yeah, it happened. So then we got a liquor license. And that day, I went to the board, had a hearing. They approved it. They printed the license. Went to the local uh, uh, liquor store and got three different tequilas, two different... Uh, 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 sour mixes because I don't know any better and bottle two bottles of Prosec and literally 3.30 I'm mixing at the bar and I was like A, B or C which one is better 
B, perfect, this is where we're going with. And that was the beginning of our bartending experience. <laughs> it wasn't Cuervo, it was something else. I can't remember, Durango, some trash tequila, I guess. Yeah. I want to hit upon that in a little bit too, because I, oh, this is, um, this is flowing so nicely. Uh, so you were saying before, like uh, getting the newsletter, getting the zip codes and showing the board, right, the different clientele. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes into something important um, that I want to ask about, which is, you know, like uh, I was saying in the beginning, your mom, Maria, like queen of like, right, right. you know, this kind of cuisine in Providence Rhode but it wasn't always that way. Um, and, you know, it's a family affair and, you, you know, you're starting at the restaurant, you're just trying to survive and just pay the bills. What do you think contributed? Because you were, you were building like an audience and a fan base and, a, and really like a, like a kind of like a culture going on with, mm-hmm. within the walls of that restaurant. What do you think built that? What do you think contributed to that? So part of our, our part of our success, a lot of our success stems from uh, this guy Mike Ritz. He okay. was uh, the executive director of uh, the Genesis Center at the time, and I think our second year, he it was an immigrant uh, community center that they help. Uh, at that time, it was a lot of Asian uh, immigrants, so they help them with uh, maybe housing or or uh, tech training, uh, culinary uh, training at the time. So he was in charge of setting up their yearly uh, gala where uh, he asked restaurants for a donation, food, and they put up this big event. Donate, uh, people who were donating go uh, and pay $100 for a ticket and they go and experience food from Providence, right? So he pitched that we're like, man, it sounds like I'm like, how much are you paying me? Like, what, what is, how much money are you gonna you know, give me for this? And he's like, no, it's free. You give me free food, you go serve it at the event. And then in turn, you get maybe five customers out of the hundred that are going. If you get five to come back, it's a win. And I was like, mm, I, don't, I don't know if, if this is like, makes is sense. Like yeah, like, yeah, like, you know, we're like, we're not even making any money right now. How can, you know, on a Saturday night, I don't know. So I told my mother and my dad was kind of like, yeah, who said that? I'm like, that guy over there. He's like, oh, that pinche gringo. Like, nah, like, I, I can't trust that guy, right? We don't know him. He spoke some Spanish. He lived in Mexico, so like, your food is exceptional. He lived in Mexico City, Veracruz, so like, your food is really good. I haven't had nothing like this in a long time. Trust me, trust me. And we're like, uh, well, what do we have to lose? $200 worth of food. So we went, and people were just like, wow, this food is great, this food is great. And that's when we met, you know, the people from Los Andes, the Ibisu guys, because he went and grabbed all those guys too. They were just new to the game as well. So he was really influential. And so, you know, following Friday, so it was a Saturday event. Uh, I mean, on Wednesday, we have a family um, that came back and like, oh, I want the, the shrimp that we had at the event. And we're like, no, we actually don't have it on the menu. My mom just cooked that for that day. So we started noticing that people were gravitating to a lot of things around the menu. And, and we did, like the first week, we had 10 customers from that event. And the following week, a few people more. So we realized that. And then this Mike, he's like, hey, you need a website. And you need this, you need that, you need a, a newsletter. You gotta k- keep this thing rolling. And I'm like, here it is, here's the pitch. Like, oh, and then he's like, I'll do it for you for yeah. like this much money or right. something. I'm like, here it is. And I hate when somebody pushes me to do something that I'm not too sure about. Yeah. Like, like ah, yeah, we do need a website, but I don't know if you should be the right guy, right? So I remember this vividly, like it was summertime, I stopped to get sandwiches at, uh, at Rancho because I was going to the beach with my family. And here's Mike Ritz sitting on the bar with a yellow uh, notepad, and he's got numbers, and this is what you need. And I'm like, dude, like, I'm going to the beach. He's like, no, give me a minute. He's like, here, take this and read it and call me later. And I literally, I didn't even read it. I crumbled it. I was like, I don't want your help because I don't know what I need. 
Yeah. Like, I don't want you to impose something. Like, I'm still learning this yeah. as, as, like, as, and as just, we're He doing. was really pushy. And I was like, God, this damn, like. And then the next day, I go get this paper and I read it. And I'm like, calling him, hey, uh, I'm like, how much is it going to cost? He's like, I don't want money. He's like, I want to help you guys. Just cover the cost of the people who are going to do the website for you. I, I think she wants like $300 for this website. I'm like, Nah, that's not bad. Right? I could swing. And you need a newsletter. And he's like, I, I'll help you with this newsletter. And, you know, she's like, I already bought the domain name. You know, I'm like, it's just, it was a 10 bucks. So he's like, I don't want, I don't want to help you. He's like, I want to help you. I want to help the guys from Los Andes and Avisu. Like, perfect. So I'm like, huh. So this guy's really not like in it for the money, right? So he's part of our success where he, he filled in, you know, my needs that I didn't know I needed because I didn't know the industry. I didn't know the marketing. The yeah, and he's like, you know, your logo. He's like, you know, you, you need a, to create a brand. You, you, your mom is a brand. She doesn't know it. She's like, she's the Coca-Cola. Like, people see Coca-Cola in any language, and you know it's Coca-Cola. So he saw that your mom was the, oh, as yeah. you were saying before, the headliner, oh, yeah, yeah. but your mom didn't realize, and you didn't realize, didn't but he saw, oh, it, he saw that. So he was one. bringing that information oh, yeah. and, and presenting that to you, like, no, you need to, yeah. like, market and brand yeah, yeah. your your family, yeah, you your this, but your mom as well. Mm-hmm. And she was clearly, she's still the one, right? So that was, you know, that that's part of a success where, you know, the first, within the first three years, we... We now you can't start a business without having your brand, your marketing. Like right. that's part part one, obviously. You know, with a business plan. Then we opened up without having the intention. We didn't know that we needed that, and so he created that for us. And I started driving more traffic, and then we started doing events there. And but that's part of the success where he came along at the t- at the right time. I think if he hadn't come along then, we might have missed the mark because we weren't in with the cool kids. We you know we didn't know you know that. You know, Chomp was, you know, having an amazing restaurant in, in, in Bristol or, or you know, Derek or, you know, we, you know, we met them later, but we didn't know that there was an amazing food scene developing in Providence. Like, you know, it was a cool kids group and us. And right? you, were, you were on the outside, on the outside Because we didn't know that that existed. Gotcha. I was just in my own little bubble trying to make this stupid thing work. Yeah, because you, you had to, you're yeah. trying to survive and get it to work. Did your, did your mom... Uh, because I think this is like an interesting question to ask. Did your mom realize that she was going to be the face or at some time or was she just naturally being herself? Because I think it's one thing when it's like when you kind of know, then it, mm-hmm. like it changes your behavior a little bit or was no. it more she was just naturally being herself? She was just and, naturally being herself. So she knew that, you know, in between cooking, she'll come out to the dining room and say hello and thank you for coming. And it just became that thing. That's how she is. It was a natural form yeah. of branding because she was just. And then once the branding herself. thing came about, she had already been doing that for two, three years. So it kind of just worked to her advantage, having this, you know, glorified image of her because she was already being that before. So she was naturally being that thing, but then it was what changed was the decision to like, oh, we need to like take this right. that's naturally happening right. and present it right, right. and push it in a way where it is branding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this guy, Mike Ritz, helped, you know, he always brings to, like, random events. And remember, the uh, health department was having a uh, culinary event at Johnson & Wales uh, to, it was an initiative to have uh, local restaurants do more health, uh, healthy cooking, right? Have more healthy options on the menus, right? So they invited all the top chefs in Providence, uh, executive uh, director of, like, cellos or something like that, and... And they had this event, a whole day event, where they're showing, you know, the healthy cooking and all that good stuff, right? Which was kind of stupid because all the chefs that were there already 
do an amazing job of cooking really healthy foods. They should have like, you know, the bigger corporation. That should be the thing. But anyways, we got invited and part of this event was that they had to do like a, uh, a mystery kitchen event and they broke down into teams and it was all the top chefs from Providence and my mom, right? All males, probably maybe it was two other girls, but it was just young, tatted, you know, uh, big burly, I'm a fucking chef type thing. And my mom was kind of just like in the middle. And I remember this vividly watching through the, through the glass window of the kitchen. And I'm like, what is she going to fucking cook? Like, I, and, and I've always, you know, when we go do events and she's speaking, I always kind of put notes in front of her and, and, you know, say this, talk about this, make sure you're touching this. But I couldn't help her because... Yeah, you, you, you couldn't be in the I couldn't. I'm like, her, like, like my child. I'm like, God damn it. Like, I can't tell him what to say, what to do. But I was like, fuck. Like, I, was, I felt helpless. I'm like, man, like... But just watching her, the mean that changed there. Like, just... She was, I remember this vividly. She was going to get a, a blender. And I forget uh, what chef, this big, burly chef, had it. Grabbed it just before she did. And my mom snatched it out of his hands. He's like, give me it. And he just stood there, like, dumbfounded. And I was like... Yes. Like, she knows what she was worth. Like, she's not intimidated by this guy. She has no idea who she took this thing from. Like, she's like, I don't care either. She did not care. So she made, like, duck fajitas and uh, some fish something. So she did, like, three courses while other chefs did, like, one and an appetizer, right? And it was done with her style. She wasn't trying to do nothing crazy fancy. She's not too entrenched. She's like, I'm going to do what I know. That's what I know. She made, like, chile rellenos, actually. Chile rellenos or fajitas and something else. And she just did it, and that's what she know. And obviously, you know, other guys did amazing things. And people are like, man, she fucking pulled this off in an hour, and it tastes amazing. And that's when she kind of realized, like, there's a picture that I have somewhere, where she's just kind of in the middle of these, like, just big legends now. And, and she felt like, you know, she, she belonged in there. And that was, that was the beginning of, of her, like, ah. I've arrived. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Mike Tyson who said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Joaquin never planned on being in the restaurant business, but life, fate, whatever you want to call it, had different plans for him. Joaquin knew having a restaurant was his mom's dream, not his. But also, it was his mom. He couldn't tell her no. So he put his own dreams and plans on hold to make his mom's dream of having a restaurant come true. And when he purchased the building, he took on all the work that came along with it. And at first, Joaquin hated that work, but eventually he grew into his role and started to enjoy what he was doing. And with that came success. Sometimes we have dreams and plans, yet fate may have something else in store. And sometimes in those situations, we want to resist and fight fate every step of the way. However, when we do this, we can miss out on something great. If Joaquin said no to his mom and fought and resisted what fate had in store, he would have never purchased the building that would become El Rancho Grande, and he would have never experienced all the success that came along with it. When fate presents a situation different from your plans, instead of asking, why is this not what I planned? Maybe you could ask, how can I leverage this situation to make me better? Who knows? You may discover skills and talents you never knew you had, and a dream you never knew you wanted. Does that competition? I've arrived. Um, did you notice like 
uh, rules, like as far as like who is working there, changing? Because and the reason why I ask, and you mind if I have a little bit more of no, this? No, go ahead, go. Awesome. Um, sipping on this really, really, really delicious, uh, delicious mezcal. This is yeah. this is phenomenal. But I think this makes sense actually as a transition into this question because you were saying like you didn't know how to you know really craft bartend. You just got the liquor license, and then I remember the first time like remember meeting you you were behind the bar and i i wanted to know a little bit more about tequila you give me this map of like mexico and you explain mm. all these regions and everything i'm like oh, this guy must have been a tequila expert all his life so it's interesting hearing so what was that evolution like where like were like roles changing as things went on like how did you um go from just like hey i gotta do all these different jobs because then then you're running a bar and right. then it's like known for this selection of tequilas right. and mezcal so like how did those changes happen and what was that like right so then when we had a liquor license, so then we're like, oh, now we need a bar. We didn't have a bar. We had a, a, a chest freezer in the back where we kept ice. We didn't even have an ice machine. We used to go buy ice uh, in East Providence, the ice place at East Providence. So then we just started buying tequilas that we knew, tequilas that my parents would drink. And then, you know, the, the salespeople would come and pitch you, you know, the next best tequila, and we don't know any better. So we started buying. And the trend at the time, this was, uh, what is it, 2010, was, you know, the more the merrier no like i want to be the mexican place that has the most tequilas every in the single state. tequila and mezcal every across the you know, sun so then we started building so a friend of mine uh, andrew Schatz, who had a chocolatier he built like my first shelf unit for bottles right he built it was too big couldn't take it out of his basement had to cut it in half put it together around to right and then i put all the tequilas out we, i just had on a shelf in this little unit and they wouldn't fit. So I'm like, man, I need more. So we built another shelf, another shelf. And then we were running out of space. And then, so I think 2010, 2011, there was a cocktail week in Providence. Providence Cocktail Week sponsored by, I think, Providence Monthly. That was done, I guess at the time, it was probably the only way it could have done. Probably not the best, but it worked then. So then we got invited to be part of this thing where uh, we weren't a bar yet in a way. But we had margaritas, and I had already gotten away from uh, buying a mix because, like, you know, at that time I didn't know any better, so I was just buying cheap tequila. Um, so the guys from Chilangos at that time had a tequila company, a brand, and I was buying his mixer, which is actually a really good mixer. Um, you know, kicking the ball around, making margaritas, and then this uh, event came around, and we created a menu based on what. I remember my parents drinking, right? Like, we had palm trees in our house in Mexico. So from time to time, they'll get a couple of coconuts from the, the, the tree and put gin in it, you know, gin and coconut water. Amazing. So we created this cocktail menu based on the stuff I kind of knew from the, what they were drinking. And that's how it kind of started, just by... And then, then meeting the people from the Dorans uh, at the time, uh, the U.S. Bartenders Guild was happening. Uh, Mike Lester from Doris invited me um, to the first meeting. And I was like, hey, I'm not a bartender. I just make margaritas. Like, well, we need, you know, you and everyone, you know, from the city that has some sort of uh, craft, you know, to be part of this thing. Like, so it makes everybody better. So I remember going there. I met Jesse Hedberg there. Uh, J. Carr, all those, you know, province heavy hitters. I met him there and I was like, wow, I was dumbfounded. Like the 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 craft that already, you know, was so different than what I had. But it was kinda like, hmm, I never said like, oh, I want to be like them because I know that our bar wasn't the setting for it. And remember everybody, according to Jen Davis in previous episodes, it's, it's craft, not an art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I might have, made you do a spit take. I might have to. It's an art, Jen. Come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just being around those guys. And also, you know, going back to the roles of the restaurant, if I would tell my mom, like, mom, I need eight tequilas, she wouldn't say no. So she, she, she always trusts what we did. So then me and Mark were like, oh, I need this, we need that, right? So it was during that weekend where at the Avery there was a tequila and mezcal talk that I had signed up for Sunday morning at 10 in the morning, I think. And I wasn't going to go because I was tired, probably hungover. And I was like, man, I said I'm going. Um, there was a speaker that I didn't even have the, you know, the, the thought of Googling, or I should have. Um, who turns out to be the reason why I got into the tequila mezcal game heavy. Uh, we show up to the Avery Sunday morning, 10. Uh, we're drinking. I already knew Del Maigue, the the green bottle brand behind every bar. I feel and, like that's everybody's like first yeah, mezcal yeah. a lot of the time. And some other stupid tequila um, who she didn't represent, but she had support because that was part of the gig, right? So this girl, Missy Kalkofen, uh, who's from Boston, worked with the brand at the time who still does she's a national brand ambassador now she's talking about Mexico and mezcal in a way that I didn't even know I was like well, why is this American chick from Wisconsin know more about Mexico and I'm from there this doesn't make sense right so we you know we became friends and she was like hey I work with this uh, um, this uh, initiative called Tequila Change Project and we're, you know, to raise awareness about the good practices and bad practices of tequila. We're running an event. We need uh, funds, you know, for for this project. Uh, are you willing to put a cocktail in your bar and donate a dollar for every cocktail yourself? So, sure. So, we put a cocktail, a, a rancho, probably sell none. So, at the end of the month, I was I felt bad saying I didn't sell anything. So, I sent like 100 bucks, right? It's like, you know, it's 100 bucks. And then, like, every other month, I would sell, you know, send another 100 just because I... And then she, she was like, hey, we have an event in New York. Can you come down and, and help? I think I didn't go to the first event Marco went. And then, like, hey, we have this, another event in Boston. So I got, and then just watching her and learning about, you know, tequila and the good practices, right? And I was like, wait, you know, like, if our rancho, we kind of take care of the quality of food we put out, why am I selling shitty tequila? Like, you know, and when I started realizing, like, half the stuff that's in a bottle, it's supermarket, you know, just for marketing. And, and why am I giving Patron all my money because eventually we were starting or sometimes we, it's not even like real tequila I think right. you told me right yeah. sometimes it's like because yeah. the liquor laws in yeah. the US versus Mexico are different yeah. and like what we consider cl- classic so tequila and all that good I realized stuff. that people stopped drinking good tequila because they were just buying what was the most you know marketing savvy company so I realized that at one point we are just selling Patron by the cases and I had you know thousands of dollars on a wall that nobody's touching so one day I was like, you know what, Marco? Let's get rid of this fucking bottle. And we stopped selling that. And people would come like, hey, I want Patron. I'm like, yeah, we don't have that. We have this. Try that. And they're like, well, well I'm not into And then we just, just to teach, right? So then we're learning about the tequila and the good practices of it. One day, me and Marco were like, you know what? These things are not made the way we want to represent the, uh, our bar. And it was like a Thursday midday. We just went up and started grabbing bottles that were not cheap, they were expensive, $200 bottles of tequila. And we started pouring it to customers that were there, it was given to friends, because we didn't want to have the quantity, we wanted quality. And, and my mom never questioned, she comes out, she's like, what are you doing? And some of these things were, Puff Daddy had just bought a brand, De Leon, right? De Leon was probably decent at the time. I'm like, I don't want to represent Puff Daddy, I don't want him to have my money, screw him. So we took a $250 bottle, 
And we just drank it there because it was still decent enough at the time. And, we, and my mom was like, what are you doing? I'm like, we don't want this. Like, we're going to drink it. So we started just taking everything off the wall just because we didn't, that didn't represent us anymore. I'm so appreciative like, that you went through that because you've given me a tequila mm-hmm. and mezcal education, you and your brother, multiple times yeah. and, um, and that was, and, over the years. Yeah, and that was at the time where, we, where I vaguely knew or I thought I knew you know, what the, the agave industry in Mexico was. And it was because Missy introduced me to a dear friend, Alda Bituro from Philly, um, who I started gravitating to these guys and listening. Like, I'm like, why, why, is this, you know, why is that? And, then, and that, that was the beginning of it. And then, then the craft, the cocktail, it started getting better. We said, you know, because of Missy, we started getting you know, to know friends in Boston, you know, from Drink to Hawthorne, uh, uh, all these places that we were going. Like, hmm, you know, this, this guy's, you know, and obviously the Eddie, Lawrence, the local guys. But it was just gravitating to, to these amazing, you know, people who, you know, learn, you know, they're, they're legends. They're legendary in Boston, Providence. And it was just snowballs. And then we started taking what I learned from these guys just by watching and making our own, right? Like, the thing that I, 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 I fall back on a lot is my culture. You know, like, I, I grew up in Mexico. I, and now it also allows me to learn more. If I want to te- teach, I have to know what I'm talking about. Right. So then, like, as, the, as I get older, I just, you know, gravitate more to learning. Or why is this, you know, just for my own self satisfaction i guess and then that you know translates into into how we do things at rancho at rancho we had amazing cocktails people didn't care they just wanted margaritas but we had amazing cocktails you know either me or marco that would come to the uh, and some phenomenal cocktails stuff. and just spirits straight up right and it was just you know the and then the, most of the spirits that we carry are people that we know we know the owners we know the producers we visited a lot of these places because you know when, when i like this that we're drinking I don't know the producer itself, but I know the guy who owns the brand. It's an amazing person, and like I could, the one that I drank at home the other day was made a year before my daughter was born. It's an, it's probably my favorite mezcal. It's from the same producer. So like I know, like there's a personal connection. Like you know, I was listening, you know, to the Jan uh, podcast the other day. How you ask, you know, when brands come, like, hey, you want this, but you got to carry the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah the they stop. Yeah, they stop doing that to us because they know that I don't care. For their product, you'll be like, no, I, I just I, want, I need to know the person. I just know this, right? Or we have instances where I know a product is coming to town, and it's specifically for us that the sales guy doesn't know, that the distributor doesn't know, but we know the importer, and we're like, hey, I need this, right? We have a couple of bottles that our sales guy didn't know we were coming. We're like, hey, by the way, when this hits, it's for us. Like, we need the six cases of it. They're like, yeah, we haven't put an order. I'm like, yeah, it's coming. And a week later, oh yeah, your bottles came, right? Like. Because we know the you know the the, the importers, so we know the owners also, and and but so most of the sales guys stop bringing us shitty things, or they might bring it like, hey, I have you know the rocks and the tequila. You want to try it? Like fuck it, let's just see how bad it is, right? <laughs> You're and, just like sure, let's just entertain the thought. And, and we try it, and I put another good tequila next to it, so they could see the difference. Uh, uh, so him as a salesman, right? I appreciate it. Like, it's a young dude, uh, one of the companies, uh, uh, I think Horizon he works for. He's, uh, you know, he's really keen into learning, and he's not offended if I tell him this shit sucks, you know. And somebody else, you know, another friend comes by and like, hey, want to try this? I'm like, dude, you know, I want to hate you're this. Like, thing. You're like really? I almost puked in the kitchen other day because Marco brings me, like, hey, you want to try this new tequila? And I try, it and I was like, this can't be it. And I have to be the jerk and be like, hey, dude, that shit sucks. I hate, <laughs> but it's like, you know, this sucks. Stop bringing it. So, I think that this transitions nicely into, um, you know. El Retro Grande gets 
starts getting known, right? You go from the peripheral to you're with the quote-unquote unquote, cool kids and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, you're getting the audience. Onlyville's changing a little bit. Um, you know, your mom becomes like the star in the branding. Uh, your dad's doing work there. You've got you know your position there of doing a little bit of everything, but becoming um, you know better at the bar, um, becoming the uh, the jerk that says the tequila's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Right, your brother uh, is working the bar as well. So everything's going steady. What was the desire then, or what was happening? And I have some thoughts on this, but like it's only my opinion. I want to hear it from you. What happened that hey things are going good here? I'm, I'm guessing it's just beyond survival, right? Like it's positive stuff hey, we should open another place, but not like a second El Rancho. We want to do the place that we're sitting in right now, Dolores, which is a completely different departure. What was the desire? Like, what was happening that, like, hey, let's do something different. Let's just have more than just, you know, and I'm guessing your mom was wanting something different as well. So what was happening that, that caused that that uh, that desire to do something different? Yeah, my mom didn't want something different. She wanted the same. Oh, okay, never mind yeah. then. All right, I thought that was uh, her. No, boredom. I, I was just, I started hating going to work again. Just because it was the same thing week in and week out. It was the same food. The only thing we could change was the cocktails. And we're, you know, still steadily changing, you know, seasonally. We went from uh, every four months to, uh, you know, maybe every six months because people were not really gravitating to cocktails still. And, you know, me and Mark would sit there and create these awesome things. And then people just wouldn't really care for them. So we were like, you know what, we're burning out, you know, trying to be too creative. And let's just keep it simple. You know, keep the ones that work and then change a few things every six months. And I was just bored. I, I hated going there. I I knew, I just did, I hated it. I hated going there because we had, this is going to sound really crazy, but we created a false narrative of what Mexican food should be. Because El Rancho Grande, to, um, to just correct me if I'm wrong, is like more on the Tex-Mex side of things as yeah. far as the food was concerned, Yeah, for right? sure, for sure. And, and, and Which is not a bad thing. I, right. I, I like it. I, I've but, obviously spent a lot of money there. Like, I, you've, you've kept me well fed and the food was amazing, but yeah. I'm guessing that that just or got... Mar- yeah, marketing-wise, we sold it as that's the, you know, the only Mexican food because a Mexican lady's cooking it, a Mexican lady's... So it's what Mexican food is in Mexico, and it wasn't the case. Our menu or rancho, and we didn't know this at the time, but we didn't think of it. Our Mexican, our, our menu for rancho, you know, was what people thought Mexican food should be here in the U.S. So it was like so, the, the people from Barrington and whatnot coming yeah, in, like or, what or they just thought. in general, in the U.S. in general. People, if you go to any Mexican restaurant, almost ninety, but most of them. Uh, from that era, from like 10, 12, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, they all had the same thing. The enchiladas, your mole, the one mole, uh, your tacos, uh, maybe a soup, and tamales, right? That was the basis of it. Burritos, quesadillas. That's what every Mexican restaurant in the U.S. resemble. We don't eat like that in Mexico. So when we open Rancho, part of the things that we eliminated on the original menu of the book, the Mamanto Shuya menu, was stuff that we have here now. Because we were like, well, people don't know this and I'm gonna eat it. People don't know, you know, we didn't, we had boneless chicken because, you know, people don't want bones in the damn chicken, right? And we don't eat like that at home. So it was that. So then, you know, Rancho snowballed into a, uh, a monster that was kind of hard to tame after because then you can't change nothing at Rancho. Like, God forbid you take out the chimichanga, you know, people are gonna flip out. It's just, the chimichanga was not, an original thing on the menu, my mom put it in 
one week and she's like, hey, because she made it for the staff and people are like, this is amazing, put it on the menu. So we put it on the menu. My friend Mike Ritz got a picture from someone. Oh, Rancho has chimichanga now. He calls me like, hey, man, what are you doing? You're fucking up. Like, what are you doing? So I'm like, I know, I know. It's my mom. Come and talk to her. Because this is the one time that my mom wouldn't listen to me. He's like, they're going to stay there. They've been selling. Why take them off? They're yep, selling. Yep, yep. So I'm like, I saw it. So he, Mike Ritz comes in, has it. And he's like, fucking hey, you guys. It's delicious. Right? So then. Now even he's like, yeah, put it on. Yeah. So then we kept it. So then, you know, going back. The idea of opening something that. So now I'm growing. I'm learning about my culture, my heritage, what makes me who I am, I guess. You know, we care so much about these cocktails that we make and the tequila selection, agave selection. I can't go open something else that's not, I don't know, it just became, so I've been traveling more at the time and I'm seeing these amazing places, you know, in Mexico City, New York, that have Mexican food that represents Mexico in a way where it's, you know, super respectful that is not your enchilada, your, your chimichanga place. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to do something that represents me selfishly. And that's not what I told my parents. So it's just like, you know, like there's more, there's more to this than just what we're doing, right? And, and my mom understood, right, that what we had a rancho was good, really goes on really well. Because she put her touch into, her, like, our queso fundido rancho is not a traditional queso fundido. My mom just like, Fuck, I'm going to throw this cheese, that cheese, little sour cream, more cheese, melt it, boom, queso bonito, right? That's not what you have in Mexico. There is a queso bonito, just completely different. Um, but the idea was like, I don't want to open the same thing again. I'm tired. I need a new change. She unwillingly agreed to build out this, you know, and the idea was always to have a second location. We knew that Rancho was going okay. It paid the bills. I put my kids through school. Um, but you're not going to get rich. We're not going to retire in one place. So let's open something else. This location became available. I had a, a person who I met at Rancho who pitched the idea. He's like, hey, there's a building over there. We should buy it. And just to touch upon that, where this building is for Dolores, which is what would that, that second location that we're sitting in now, um, and it came up. So was that just more of an opportunity, or did you always want a second location that was in a completely different neighborhood? Because... Um, just so f- for people know the difference, the neighborhood we're sitting in now right. is a lot different than for the sure. neighborhood where Arancho was in Olneyville, even even with the new Olneyville, not right, even right. the old Olneyville. Right, right. No, the, the, there was a different location, right? So now we learned, a, we understand the business a little more. We know that, uh, you know, market research is a thing. And now, like, you know, you kind of start looking. So you see neighborhoods, like what neighborhood would be great to put a place in that c- could be a freaking no-brainer and be successful? Right, because we have a lot of people from this side of town that will not go over the, you know, the 95 corridor because it's. And just for those out there that don't know, what, what do you what do you mean by this side of town? Just for anybody who doesn't know Providence, so East, Providence the east, east side of Providence is more affluent neighborhood. You know, it's you know then you have you know the the east side, you know, Providence and and the other neighborhoods. It's where Brown University, yeah. RISD, affluent yeah. type, type. So deal. there's a lot of people that. You know, for them to go to the other side of town, it's an adventure, right? It's literally an adventure. Yeah. You go to this part of town. Even like, though it's like literally a 10-minute yeah, drive, which is crazy drive. to me. So we knew this. So we knew that having a business on this side of town would be, for business, would be really, really awesome. So that's what I'm looking It's a perfect opportunity to start fresh and, and create something that I that I want, right? So uh, it's an amazing couple who we met at Rancho. They had just moved back from the West Coast, had Rancho, and they're like, well, this is awesome. Um, what are you thinking? You know, 
a place and I was like yeah the idea was to always have a second location right now there's no way we could afford it the idea was you know this neighborhood and he's like well funny you said that because we live around the corner from there and there's a place two places that are available so she's like hey let me see what we can do so they agreed to buy the place lease it and then eventually they became my partners because you know they they invested more money than they should have and they're phenomenally great during the pandemic they've been amazing they're really really good their idea was also to do a rancho number two because he's like we like the food the food is amazing you know the prices are incredible we need to change some of the pricing thing but my whole idea is like how do i make rancho number two on the other side of town and charge five dollars more per plate when it's the same fucking thing right like people are not going to go for it it's not going to be a thing yeah because then they'll just go to the original yeah. el rancho and this is a flop so the original idea was to make a just a second el rancho on in a different neighborhood because they they thought so it wasn't it wasn't what dolores is now no. in the beginning okay so they, they're also were not against me but they're like yeah we see what you're saying but we agree with your mother. Like, okay. how can you change this? This has worked. So, how, yeah, how did that evolution happen? So, they're phenomenal people. They're well off. They travel. So, I'm like, hey, you've been here. Have you tried this place? Yes. You've been here. Thought, yes. I'm like, well, this is the idea that I want. I'm like, it's probably a selfish thing for me, but this is what I want. So, I went with Mexico to, uh, to uh, with my friend Heather. I'm like, hey, I'm going to Mexico anyways for a bat-friendly tequila project meeting. Um, you should come. So I want I want to show you what I mean, right? It's hard for me to explain. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a mixture of like, not high end, but like you know a little more uh, um, experimental. But I want you to taste the base of where everything comes from. So we ended up in Mexico uh, like January uh, two years ago, three years ago maybe now. And in Guadalajara, I'm like, hey, this is what I mean. Like the art, I want you to experience the art. I want you to experience the restaurants in Guadalajara. And then we're gonna go to Oaxaca. And I want you, like that's where the, that's my mom is from there. You know, everything's so raw and still like so old school in Oaxaca that I want her to experience like the markets, the, the food in the markets, right? Like I want you to taste these things. So we went there and she was like, I, I know what you mean. Like now I get it. So that's, you know, a lot of our artwork comes from there. You know, visiting these shops, like me and her, Literally, when we went there, we just bought everything. Like, let's buy this. Yes, let's buy that. I want this. And we brought everything back. More, the artwork that we got was from there. So I told her, I'm like, I want this place to... So, you know, the, the whole decor and the whole layout was pretty much me and her. as a family thing. But it was my vision. Every time I go to Mexico, I, I go to uh, galleries and museums. And I like the white walls. And showcasing, you know, the craft of, of the people, right? Like, what they're good at. I love that. So I wanted to recreate that space here. And she understood it. So, like, this is... My mom is still the star of the show. Like, it's her food still. It's her seasonings, all her stuff, right? She's influenced by... I'm like, hey, maybe we should do this, right? Maybe we should try that. And there's... We have an octopus on the menu where I'm like, hey, I need a green mole. It's probably going to be a fish. Uh, she's like, okay. And the next day, there's a green mole. And she's like, oh, I didn't have the fish, but I had octopus. So I fucking cook octopus in here. Try it. I'm like, oh, that, that's great. Something's missing. Let's tweak it. But she does, you know, we work well like that, where I pitch her an idea and she creates something, and then me and her just kind of work together and tweak things. Was there a concern, and I'll, I'll try to equate, we were talking about music before the podcast even mm -hmm. started, I'll equate this to music. Um, I'll try to use uh, Outcast as an example, because I think it's, there's a weird parallel I'm drawing here. Because you built up this community with El Rancho, then at first the idea was make a second El Rancho, but then you realize you couldn't do that, and now you have, um, you know, I want to talk a little bit more, get more into the mm -hmm. Dolores thing. Um, 
you have this now second like brand slash audience with Dolores. Was there a fear? And I think this happens with music sometimes where it's like, you have to kind of like get the audience first and you build up the audience. But then if you want to change your music and I, that's why I use outcast the example, was there a fear of like, Hey, we may lose the people that, you know, um, that are going to like, that you know, kind of put us on and got got us to got us to the dance, so mm-hmm. to speak, because right. you're now changing styles a little bit. You're you're switching it up, or was the idea more of like um, like speaker box love below? Like it, like to me that that album's like old ca- mm-hmm. outcast versus like new outcast, where it's like you get it both in one album. What was like that the idea? Of like hey, if you want this style, we're gonna have El Rancho over here. But then if you want this new right. audience, we're going into gonna have it over here. But was, was there any worry or concerns about that? Like hey, we're it's not us shutting up and playing the hits. We're gonna do something different now. There was a, a big concern. It was a worry because the whole idea of like why change it? You know, when it's already working. Like you know, it's not broken. Why change it? Yeah, that was a concern. But I was I was confident enough where I was like, hey, this is what I want, right? So uh, Guillermo del Toro, right, Mexican uh, director, uh, Oscar winner and that, uh, I saw... Uh, Super DIY type dude, by the yeah, way. So it's funny yeah. you mentioned him. So he, I was listening to one morning uh, a YouTube talk that he gave to uh, film a students in Guadalajara. And one advice he gave him, he's like, si la vas a cagar, Cagar in tus propios términos, right? If you're going to fuck it up, do it on your own terms. So I've kind of been living like that lately. If you're going to screw it up, like, just, it's your decision, right? If at the end of this one where you have nobody to blame but yourself. And if it works, it works. If it didn't, you tried it, and you live with that satisfaction that, that you tried something that you're really passionate about, and, right. and you did. So literally, that's what it was. Like, I'm like, let's try it this way. If it doesn't work, I'll, you know... Maybe it could be me. Maybe the people are not ready in this town. But, like, I want to try something different for my satisfaction. This is, like, a super guilty, you know, pleasure of mine where now it's, it's also my, so my mom's, obviously, but it's my idea, my vision, my view. And I'm gonna, we're going to do it. And if it doesn't work, then fuck it, right? We'll turn this into Rancho again. But the idea of trying something new. And also just the whole education part goes back again, right? Like, the whole cultural education, you know, it's been forefront in every aspect of life lately. I want to teach about where I come from with my words, my views, not the way somebody locally sees Mexico, right? Like, I'm telling you that this is my life, this is what a tortilla should taste like. You want to tell your story. Not because you had one that, you know, XYZ company made it in Fall River, right? Like, that's not it. Like, this is my life. This is how I was raised, this is how I was brought to this country. Illegally, that I'd swim across a river and walk the desert also. So, you know, that's a part of another story. But like, this is my, my life. Like, this is how I see my Mexico. Now, on a donkey, on a sombrero, on a piñata. Like, the building that we're sitting in right now could be a place in Mexico City. Like, why does it have to be, you know, yellow walls? So it's come almost like a rebel. Like, you know, yes, you know Rancho. Yes, we made a living there. Yes, you think, you know, the burritos are Mexican, which they are, but not the way we eat them here. Like, I want to tell you my way, not the way you, you assume me. Wait, I was going to say, you, you named the place Dolores after your, your grandma, right? Mm-hmm. You know, going back to, you know, my mom being the star of the show, which she's still the star of the show. Nobody knows who my dad is at times. You know, somebody, they might like, oh, that, the old grumpy guy that comes from, you know, with dishes every once in a while. Like, yeah, that's my dad. And he does every single 
uh, he does everything that nobody uh, runs for, for like 12 years taking out the trash shoveling snow you know sweeping the, the broken glass from the drunk guy who took uh, you know the bottle took uh, a beer out at, uh, you know 10 o'clock and he smashed it on the sidewalk he's the guy that did every single thing that nobody else would and that's still what makes a restaurant work and he still doesn't get you know any attention and then he's fine with it because he doesn't want any of it so then you know that selfish you know yearning of, of my identity I guess I was like you know this guy is amazing right like why doesn't he get any recognition so you wanted to give him his flowers yeah before he dies right you know, he's, he's still healthy, but he's got, you know, another 30 years left in him. But I want him to to be proud of something, right? Because, you know, he gave up half his life to come here and work. And, you know, he has nothing to show for. Like, this is for him, right? Was the original idea to have two places simultaneously because, like, have El Rancho and Dolores running at the same time with, like, I'm guessing two different fan bases, two different styles, mm-hmm. and then there, maybe there's some crossover? Um, was that the original idea? Um and if so, what happened at El Rancho? Because El Rancho is not open right, right now. Right. So what happened there? And was that a difficulty if the original idea was to have the two simultaneous? Now you have the one spot. Right. So Rancho, like the last, like, you know, people, like, you know, you're talking to Jen the other day, right? Like, people don't really know what it takes to run a restaurant or a business, right? Or uh, businesses in general or... Unless you, know, you go and do it. Right. Or restaurants and bars. They're, you know, our especially the restaurant, the, the profit margins are slim. If you're not careful uh, with how you're buying and how you're pricing your stuff out, you're not making money. And, and if you're making, the, the state of Rhode Island makes more money off of me than I make at Rancho. You know, between sales tax, I, they, they, I pay their eight fucking percent yearly and I probably profit 4% at best at Rancho. Even though we're busy, it's just Rancho became a monster that, it, there hasn't been growth in the last five years. It just kind of maxed out. And it's just like, things haven't been going as well, even though we've been busy. And people have that misconception where, like, oh, fucking Rancho's busy. Like, they just see people right. packed. But oh, they don't really understand great. that, you know, for us to service that amount of people, our, our, our staff has to be bigger in the back. And then that's where your money goes, right? So then that kind of became a problem and had some issues with licensing. And... Thankfully, as bad as it sounds, right, the pandemic happened and allowed us to take a break on that. Um, then we had a fire uh, last August at Rancho on the second floor. So that also put a hamper on things. The idea is to still open Rancho up. That can dine. Um, I have been there once since I've been working here because I'm fully working here. And it was really nostalgic to walk in and see, like, because I had already given up on it. And I walked in the day of the fire and to think that that could have gone away was rough I'm like man like there's still life in this fucking place like there's gotta be a way where I could make it work and that's when the creative you know side comes like you can't just it's easy to just to start shit over and like fuck it and at times it's the best thing to do right but also at times like well you know there's still life in this place you know the bottles are still on the wall like we could go there and, and there's still some <laughs> probably better mezcal than we, than we have here um so just seeing that, seeing this, the kitchen, small tiny kitchen, like a, fur, a four burner stove, right? A small little flat top. To see the amount of food that came out of place, it was kind of like, man, like I, I'm an asshole for thinking this place is done. And just and that was kind of like a spark. I'm like, eh, we, we, we need to start Rancho again. It's obviously not right now. We could barely staff this stupid restaurant. Like going back to Rancho, uh, we wouldn't have enough. Or doing the simultaneous dual restaurants. It, it was not, it, maybe because of the pandemic, but... 
the idea is to still do, uh, do this. The idea is to grow, to have a couple of other ones, not Rancho, not this. There's other venues, you know, ideas that we have that there's a need for in, in the city. But they used to have both. The idea was to run both of them. You know, I, I can't keep squeezing the life out of my mother. You know, I have to find a way to not do that. <laughs> so Rancho will at some point come back, just mm-hmm. don't know when. Yeah, it's just not right now. Um, and hopefully not change too much. If we change Rancho too much, it won't be successful. People, you know, eh, They not, remember it. There's no Rancho. What the fuck is this? <laughs> you, know? like it's, it, you can't change anything there. So sitting in Dolores and you're saying you wanted to tell your story your way um because i noticed everything's so thought out here like like you said like the artwork is Mm -hmm. like from your visits right even just your experience you know before with mezcals and tequilas that's what informs Mm -hmm. um you know the mezcal and tequila and um and i want to talk about that a little bit too because there's a couple things with uh with bats that i want you to explain Mm -hmm. to some people but um you know even like the the food menu choices is different uh was that the plan from the beginning that everything was going to be thought out to the T and with, and, and if so, was that just informed from, you know, what you learned and the mistakes and what you learned and like, you know, do your research and branding from what you didn't know before, like you learned from El Rancho was that, Oh, now I want to do the second place. Like we're going to do it this way and we're going to super inform everything. Right, right. Well, that, that's literally what I was. So Rancho is like my, my college career, essentially. Like I learned, you know, everything and just listening to you know every other professional right they've worked at five six different places and they learn from other peers who are you know amazing uh, uh managers and owners i didn't have that like i've learned on my own and obviously you know through our, our now our, our our peers around the city but before that everything i learned about the bar was me and marco right so if i was to get another job i'm like fuck like i'm not maybe as good as a bartender as i thought but it, so I did work in Boston a few months uh, uh, at a bar uh, with a friend because I kind of wanted to prove myself like, yeah, am I good enough to work somewhere else? Because maybe what I've taught myself doesn't mean shit. Maybe like I need to go. It was actually pretty cool to, to do that. And I'm like, yeah, I could fucking work somewhere else. But yeah, so the idea of yeah, just learning from, from Rancho, learning from our mistakes, right? Everything was definitely thought out here. Um, we had a, a, a plan, a, a building plan, the idea, the concept of, of I use the word concept on myself because I'm not a concept. This is my life, right? Uh, everything, the, the lights, the, the feel of the place. It didn't matter how fancy or not fancy we wanted the place to be. I still didn't want it to be stuffy. I still wanted to be family. Gotcha. I still wanted to have, you know, my mom come out here and shoot, you know, fucking tequila with people. I didn't want to be like... That was one of the like, greatest things that, like, when I saw your mom come out, I'm like, oh, they're, they're good. They're still doing that. Yeah, like, I didn't want to lose that. Because if I lost that, then this would have been a failure for me. Because I wanted to be different, but I didn't want to be, you know, the, the question everything that gets punched in the computer. Hey, why didn't you put the shut down? Like I still have, you know, our servers. Like, you know, they're like, hey, this guy used to come around all the time. You know, I brought him around. Yeah, like yes, do that. Like I want that still. Like that doesn't have to change. Tying up our game uh, on our books and all that pricing. Yes, but the whole feel, I wanted to still be the same but with a new twist on my view on how I see Mexico the first time I went back to Mexico after like 20 years uh, there's nothing harder you know for a Mexican guy to tell you you're not Mexican like that it's probably the beginning of 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 my search and you know my personal life again I think you know sitting in Oaxaca like midnight eating a tostada and somebody's shop 
And the guy goes like, oh, where are you from? I'm like, oh, from you know, the U.S., but I was born in Puebla, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, so you're not from Mexico. I'm like, yeah. He's like, no, you're American. Like that felt like somebody ripped, you know, my heart on my chest. That was bad. That, that was the beginning. I'm like, yeah, why does he not think I'm Mexican? Like, what, what is it? And, and I, that was the beginning of it. And that was on a mascot trip also. That, that was the beginning of, 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 like, what does he mean? Why am I not? Like, I think I'm Mexican. Like, what, what is this? And then that learning, right? So the, the whole artwork is just, you know, you know the little molinillos, right? That's what we, uh, like, whisk. That's a, every day. Everybody has, everybody's home has one of those. We make, you know, use those to make chocolates. But it's beautiful. It's art. You know, I, I need to put that on the wall. The whole idea was to, to have self-respect in a way. I can't have, I can't expect you to respect me if I'm, you know, if you, if you walk in and I'm like, yeah, this place is really dope and, you know, it's a new way of thinking of Mexican people and, you know, not be disrespectful, but have a donkey, you know, a piñata hanging and all those, like, cliche gimmicky things. Right. Then I can't, I can't expect you to respect me if I'm putting all this shit on the walls again. Right. You know, like, if I want you to respect me, then I need to, you know, to learn about myself and respect myself too and, and and that was the whole uh, thing. And the whole idea was, you know, traveling, you know, and looking at peers, right? New York City, we have friends that work at Cosme Athlete, phenomenal restaurants, by incredible chefs. Um, like, why does it have to be that? Like, why do we, are we defined by that one thing, right? Yes, we're also there, right? Yeah. In Mexico, there's dark people like me. There's also blonde and blue-eyed people. You know, like, you know, it's, we're not all like that. But I just wanted to have a place that you could pick up and dump in a city in Mexico. Any city in Mexico, this place could be a thing. It's because it's, it's Mexican, right? Guillermo del Toro said, when they asked like, what's Mexican about, uh, what's Mexican in my movie? He's like, me, motherfucker. Like, it's me. <laughs> it's not like, it, just, you know, a, must- a guy in a mustache? No, like, it's me. And same, this is what's Mexico? This, this is Mexico, me. While Joaquin's first restaurant, El Rancho Grande, was considered a success story, it wasn't his story. That fateful trip to Mexico where a man told him that he was an American and not a Mexican was a catalyst to Joaquin realizing he wanted to tell his story. And the way to do that was through Dolores. And Dolores, with its food, its artwork, and all its details, was a way for Joaquin to tell his story about his Mexico. And what's Mexican about Dolores? It's Joaquin. There's so much noise today when it comes to marketing and how creatives and businesses present themselves. There's always questions like, is this on brand? Or what's your business's brand? Or what's your personal brand? Maybe a question we should all be asking is, what's your story? Because if you're not telling your story, someone else, for better or worse, will tell it for you. to tell that story and, and, you know, wanting that, that respect, did that inform, so it's a multi-part question, did that inform, like, a number of things, like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, like, you overnight ingredients from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, did that inform, like, that? Did that inform, like, having, like, overnight ingredients from Mexico and also having, like, local fresh ingredients? Did that inform, like, your tequila and mezcal choices behind the bar? Um, did that inform, like, I know even some of the equipment, I think, is, like, custom in the, in yeah. the kitchen, right? Did that inform all that? 
because I heard you like I think you hired a, a chef like in the in, like in the beginning and then like it didn't work because of like everything was so like we need to do these things this way. If that is all the case, if that I like if you wanting to do that informed all that, and you're doing all these things like overnight ingredients from Mesco, doing everything fresh, like having custom equipment, doing things a certain way, does that present any? business-related or logistical challenges for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. For this place. Yeah. So, like, our tortillas are, 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 are you know, handmade here daily. So, we have to have maize, right? The, the dried uh, uh, corn kernels. I could get them here. Like, there's... I could probably get a local guy to grow some for me. But that means I'm stealing from the person who's actually, you know, doing an amazing job uh, uh, safekeeping this amazing uh, varietals of corn in Mexico. So, like, to keep it like that honest, like yes, it does present a challenge where you have to have a, a, a person in Mexico that can get these things for you, right? The, the molino, the, the machine that grinds this corn. Like you could do, get a small hand crank one or you could get one from Mexico. And, and like those things are challenges. You know, getting cheese shipped from Mexico. Health department would not fucking be okay with that at all. Like, it's a thing where, but it could also be a cultural thing, right? That a little sidetrack note. Well, I got a health inspection about a year ago. We're doing a ceviche, right? We got local fish, uh, Foley's, a phenomenal fish purveyor, right? Across the street, they get the same fish, right? The inspector comes in and she, you know, tempts the fish. It's at temperature. She's like, oh, what are you saying? I'm like, oh, it's for a ceviche. And she's like, oh, you, so it's not cooked? I'm like, no, that would be a crudo. This is cured. This is ceviche. Would not allow me because it was not a, 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 a sushi-grade fish. So I didn't want to be a jerk and, and, and name my friends across the street or other chefs in the city. I'm like, well, why can they use a fucking crudo, you know, from a fresh fish? Right. And, and they don't have to freeze it for 14 days in order to kill a parasite at a certain temperature, whatever fucking time it is. This is because Maria... You know, little old Mexican doesn't know, or because the white tall chef knows. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that type yeah, of like stuff, right? So those challenges are a thing. But getting back to getting, you know, a chef from Mexico, right? Um, so we do get, you know, sometimes we get cheese from Mexico. We get huitlacoches, the, the corn fungus. That has to be fresh. That has to come out. We get fresh herbs. They have to come from Mexico. And if we're not using enough, then I'm wasting, then it gets expensive. Um, I have a tortilla machine coming in this week um, that comes from Mexico. Um, so those are, they're, they're challenging. And i lucky enough, because of these trips that I made, I've made great connections in Mexico uh, from friends like, hey, I know someone that, uh, that imports things from Mexico. And that those connections have been a thing. My tortillas were not, at one point, they were not hidden right. They were just not what they should be. Um, we have friends like, hey, pick up a phone and call. Like, hey, something's up with my tortillas. What am I doing wrong? Blah, blah, blah. Shoot me a video. What the hell are you doing? Or, or just, you know, how to explain the texture of it through videos, Zoom calls, do this, do that. And that's how we've been. The challenges, but the, those challenges are, are what motivates me. Like, really. Like, because to make a tortilla correctly, it's so easy. You put, you know, calcium hydroxide in water. You boil that. You add your corn. You cook it. You let it rest. You grind the tortilla, right? It varies sometimes. Like, it's just not, maybe I added too much. I have to weigh it. My mom doesn't weigh shit. It's just, you know, put a little more, taste it. Yeah, it tastes right. She's doing off a feeling and it's whatnot. But how do, how do you her. know what it tastes like when you haven't done it in 30 years? 
right? Right. So then going back and retouching those things, it's what those challenges are what motivates me, I, I, I think. So going off of that, um, you know, talk about like just how everything is so intentional. If there's challenges, uh, I want to talk to you about, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, were you in or part of a documentary about bats and tequila production? Because I know it's like about, you know, Dolores, you carry tequilas and mezcals that are, you know, part of these projects. Um, just for those out there that don't know, because I think this is a really cool thing, can you touch upon that a little bit? Like, what bats have to do with tequila and yeah. mezcal, and how did you get put onto that, and why is that important to you here at Dolores? All right, so going back to, you know, mentioning my friend, uh, Missy Kalkafen and David Suro, they're the ones that started the Tequila Change Project. It's a nonprofit organization. Um, so they're, so I've been working with them, and I, I donate funds. I help them out with passing out information. It's, you know, raising awareness uh, of the good... Uh, practices of tequila production, right? And then it became into mezcal because mezcal started growing. So there's a scientist in Mexico, Rodrigo Medellin, who's a, a world-renowned uh, um, bat scientist. And he was studying the uh, lesser long-nosed bat who's indigenous to Mexico, who their main, one of the main feeding sources is the agave plant. When the agave flowers, it's great for nature because it shoots up this long stalk stalk called the quiote, you know, meters, uh, 20, 30 feet long. Uh, it flowers. The flowers only open up at night, which is when bats fly only. So they are in Western Mexico, uh, tequila production. It's a huge oceans of blue agave. There's not no other, well, there's some, but not a lot of uh, other vegetation, just agave because of uh, the industry, right? It's so big. So then these bats, the fe- uh, pregnant females, make the trek up north from southern Mexico to the west coast and then go up north to give birth in caves uh, uh, by the border in that region. And they, they cross over into Arizona. But they were, the population was being decimated because of this, um, not enough food for them to make the final trek because there's a huge gap that they didn't have food. So this uh, lesser, uh, lesser long-nosed bat was an uh, endangered species for a while. So then the scientists were like, you know, what the fuck's happening? What's happening? So then he realized that they didn't have this food, so then he got in touch with a couple of tequila producers and like, hey, so the reason, a little side note, the reason why it was happening, tequila production doesn't allow, when you allow the, the plant, the agave to flower, it uses up all the sugar to create the stock, and then you're left with a useless plant for tequila. For nature, it's useless. I mean, useful, but for tequila, it's useless. So then why are these you know, multi-billion dollar companies gonna allow this pl- flower this plants to flower right. when they're gonna be losing money so that's why so then the plant the plant evolved into so now the way you so there's no reproduction right because you don't need the seeds you don't have any seeds anyway so you learn to uh, sexually reproduce by sh- giving uh, offshoots every time you stress the plant it gets offshoots because it knows that it's gonna not make his you know journey so let's fucking produce you know other babies before we die so then that became a so it's all uh, uh, monoculture. So they're clones of the same mother plant. There's like two, three different varieties of that plant, which is bad for everything. So then the scientists uh, talk to a couple of people, and they're like, hey, maybe we should you know, do something about it. So then he got in touch with David Suro, uh, who a Tequila Change Project, who we were, I was part of already on the board. And they're like, hey, we should you know, help this project out. And then we created the Bat Friendly Tequila Project, where we get a couple of producers to let 5% of their agaves flower so that the bats could have some food. 
it was only for research purposes then to see if even bats were in that region still. So then he works with uh, UNAM, uh, the autonomous University of Mexico City, a world-renowned uh, uh, um, university, and we used their students to go to the field and, and, and see if the bats were there, study them, pollen, DNA samples from the mother plant. Then when the plants flower, we take seeds, we grow them in the greenhouses and see if there's any genetic changes in the mother plant and the new baby because they've been pollinated by bats. Um, so then in order for the, pl- uh, for the companies to like, they're, giving, they're losing a lot of money right. by allowing these fucking plants to flower because they're not using them for tequila. So you know, we give them a little sticker that says bat friendly and then they're in turn, uh, they're in turn able to, to market you know, and, and recoup some of the money, right? So I've been fortunate enough to go down to uh, Morelia, Michoacan, uh, where at the time we were going to catch bats, uh, one of the fields that uh, they make mezcal. So I've gone down there twice with the scientists and then the tequila people, or the mezcal at the time. So it's been really awesome, you know, two, three in the morning, sit there and catch bats and, and watch you know, the study. So the, they've used one of my pictures, I took out a phenomenal picture of the uh, Bat. He's known as a batman of Mexico, Rodrigo, uh, holding up a bat. And it, it, picture sucked, and I like, tweaked it enough where black and white was salvageable. So they do have a documentary. It's called The Batman of Mexico, and the BBC did a, a thing on him. It's a phenomenal uh, documentary. Um, and they use my picture, a few publications talking about that, the bat, Batman of Mexico type of stuff. So, you know, we donate, uh, obviously because of the pandemic, I couldn't donate any damn thing. But... Uh, we still rely on bars, so we kicked up programs where you put a cocktail, and if you, see, if you sell it for 12 bucks, sell it for 13 and give us a dollar and help this uh, a nonprofit. Um, so now we, you know, it's only maybe three brands that are doing it. It's a few more brands that are enlisting or in the process of enlisting so that we could keep this project going. So everything, you know, you, you built, you, your mom, your family built up really like not one, but like two communities around both El Rancho and Dolores, right? Um, through a number of things, just through like winning people one plate at a time, mm-hmm. going to like events, um, you know, having everything be like on the Dolores side, having everything being so considered. And throughout that time, you meet other bartenders, like you were mentioning all these people in like the Providence, like food and drink culinary mm-hmm. scene, people that helped you out. Um, what do you think for those that are listening that are not from Providence, what do you think makes Providence? Because I don't, I don't think this was this wasn't always the case. At least mm-hmm. in my opinion, as somebody who was like you know born and raised here, um, what do you think makes Providence stand out as like a culinary city? And you were saying before, like you were on the outside, there was like the cool kids there were you, like, and now I, you know, however you want to say, like you're part of that culinary family, that culinary you know food and drink community. Um, how important being a part of that community has been to your success. So, like, those, those two things. Yeah. You know, so I, I think what makes Providence, like, stand out is just the, the amount of, of cultures that... It's also because we're so densely populated and we're small. I think, yeah, they were, like, the second most densely populated yeah. state behind New Jersey, like, in so the we country. Could, you know, we could go to Hans on Cranston and 10 minutes later you're in Central Falls having Columbia food. Right? Or Fall River, not that far from here, Portuguese food. So the amount of cultures that are so tightly put together and because Providence such a melting pot, like you grew up with different cultures. So it's easy to 
to go to somebody's house and, and, and you know, have a Leo Ocean friend whose mom cooks fucking amazing, right? right. So, like, that type of thing. And that's just, like, a, a, the bottom kind of uh, level, right, or top. And then it trickles down into, like, the influences of somebody who, you know, phenomenal sh- uh, friend, uh, chef who was born and raised in Full River, you know, Portuguese, who went to Johnson & Wales, worked at phenomenal places. Kid is incredible, super talented. That now sees, like, oh, like, you know, my Mexican friend, my Colombian, like, that, that mixture of those influences of a culture is like that, right? Colum- Central Falls is probably one of the uh, the biggest communities of Colombians outside from, like, uh, Queens, New York, outside of Colombia. Full River, right? Like, it's one of the biggest colonies of Portuguese outside of Portugal, right? Mexicans, when we came to Mexico, no, there was no other Mex- I mean, from Mexico in 90s, so there was no other Mexicans. Like, it was my cousins who were younger than me, a couple of the cousins who were here. But if you met another Mexican, it was like, whoa, now that it's... Uh, Central Falls had a bunch of little Colombia, I mean Mexican restaurants, and I think that's what made us stand out because that trickles out into, you know, the the cool kids, you know, cooking right. And you have some random dude making the best, you know, tortillas in 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 Rhode Island. I think he called it, which is fucking retarded. Because, but I won't get into that. You know, you have, but it's inspired by that, right? So you're going back to like talk about my mom being like the star of the thing. Like my mom doesn't really realize. Like the legacy that she has left here, still, or she's putting on here. She doesn't realize. I don't think she realizes she's the queen. She doesn't. She doesn't realize that, you know, when she leaves this place, like, she, I feel that she has changed, you know, how people perceive or know Mexican food as in Providence now. Before her, I know there's other people there. Uh, you know, like I said, my uncle had a restaurant, he did great. My other relatives who were originally here were also incredible. But they didn't take it like one step further. They didn't bring it to the next level, you know, to to this arena in a way, right? And you know, and then you know, having peers, right? Now, once you get to this arena, then you know, hanging out with, uh, you know, the, our homies from you know Lawrence, Eddie, all these guys across the street, like it just brings. And that's what I kind of wanted to like bring Dolores, even though Rancho was already doing that. You know, we were invited to like school events. Uh, we went and did a. Uh, a pop-up at Drink in Boston uh, two summers ago. Um, Drink, it's, you know, one like you know one of the best bars in the U.S. or the world a couple of years ago at Tales of the Cocktails, right? Yep. So when my friend Ezra, who managed the bar at that time, he's like, hey, we're doing this uh, Sunday events. Uh, come and fucking do some tacos. When I was like, like no? Like, yeah, exactly. obviously, drink, yeah, for sure. So like that type of stuff, uh, you know, because of those relations that we built, you know, 10, 15 years ago, or 10 years ago, that now that we're here, like, you know, what do you do? You gotta keep, you gotta keep it growing in a way. And my mom loves that type of stuff. Like she, oh, event party? Yeah, let's go. Like. <laughs> so this whole conversation right, has been centered around, it's a family affair. Um, and I've heard like some people in business and executives and stuff like that, just, you know, I'm just saying this in general. Sometimes it's not a good idea to go into business with friends or family. Um, and yet this is, this is a family business and it's been interesting hearing you talk about how like you want to do certain things and your mom just trusts you, but then your mom's being the star of the show, Mm -hmm. dot, dot, dot. Um, have issues come up or they still come up where it's like, you know, family and business intermixing? Like, has that ever been an issue or has anything, any problems ever arisen from that? Uh, yeah, this we have problems. Obviously like my mom and I in the kitchen have never fought. We never had a fallout. Uh, she might not agree with things here and there, 
she might get mad, but she we've never had a fight where we're like, ah. you know, at the bar, I actually had a huge fight with my brother, Marco. He sees things differently than I do, um, you know, but we always resolve. And yes, you should never go into business with family because it gets tricky where, where do you draw the line, right? And, and it can work if you, you know, if you have a hard line of this is business is family. But if you don't have a straight line, it's a huge blurred thing left and right. And that can be a problem. I mean, I could see it. And maybe we haven't had those issues because we know not to maybe talk about those things and let them slide and eventually disappear. But, but like speaking from you know a, a personal experience, I know what my place is in the business. I know what my worth is in the business. I don't feel, I, I think issues will become, like my mom is still, like, and I've said this from day one, I still say it now, she's the, you know, she's the queen of the show. She's, this is why we're here, right? Without her food, it would just be an empty bar, right? And we probably would not have been able to get here. Like, I know that for a fact. So she's still the star of the show, and she will always be the star of the show. Um, I only know maybe a tenth of what her food is. And that's putting it like, a lot, maybe I know less. So I know what my worth is. I don't feel shadowed by her. I know, you know, my strength is the bar side of it, right? So I've never felt lesser than, because she always made me an equal. So there was no hard feelings over like, I wanna do this thing, but I feel like I'm under her shadow. So if there's a difference of opinion between like you and your mom, like there's no like, like set rules on who gets final say, but it does no. get resolved. It gets resolved. Gotcha. Cause she's like, okay, let's do it your way. And this time she's like, let's do it your way. And I'm like, oh, it didn't work. She's like, yeah, I told you so. And then like, we just do it her way. Or, or she trusts me in a way where maybe she doesn't want to do it and I try it and it's better. Then she's like, okay, I was wrong. Or when we were doing this thing, she didn't want me to hire bartenders. She's like, no, it's your bar. You and your brother should do it. She's like, they know Rancho because of you guys. You know, you can't like, who the fuck's up the kitchen, the bar? I was like, well, we have enough people. Like we got hire a really our starting staff at Dolores was exceptional in front of the house. We had incredible people. Our bar was fucking crushing it. The kitchen, we didn't have any. I told her, like, this is different than Rancho. I need to be back here. I need to make sure the food that we put out, it's not that she can't do it. It was just so different that I need to be back here. And she reluctantly agreed. She didn't want that. It's like, you're, I'm like, who the f we didn't have staff in the kitchen. Like, week one, like, who else do you, are you going to bring? We have nobody else. Like, I need to be in the kitchen. Now she understands why. She understands that Marco, you know, does a great job. Horace is incredible. He, you know, he's been with us from day one. Um, but yes, but you know, it was just that vision of understanding what our roles are. Like we kind of do have that defined quite a bit. Where I know I'm not. I'm behind my mom's shadow, and I'm okay with it because she's the damn like she's the one. Like I'm, I'm not saying I'm the next best thing. Like she's the one. I I know what I'm, that's how it is, and I I'm okay with it. Issue would have been if I thought like, oh, this place is what it is because of me. No, like it looks the way it is because of me. And she probably she'll come here at times. She's like, I don't get this. Why is this like that? But then now she's like, yeah, now now she gets right. Gotcha. And she did, probably doesn't even know that all the hardware is all one color, right? Like all throughout the restaurant, it's one color because that's what I wanted. Like just little weird things. Like I'm a little psychotic at times like that. She doesn't know that that happens. But you know. She's okay with that, you know. She's okay at losing control now, where before she couldn't. I'm okay too. Like gotcha. I could let things go. And we're getting towards the end here, and I wanted to ask, what are some things, or maybe one thing, and it's up to you, 
that people knew about either one of the restaurants, the restaurant industry, tequila and mezcal, um, you know, just the food business in and of itself, Mexican culture, more specifically where you're from. What were the, what are some things that you wish people knew? I wish people really knew or took time to understand and why. Why they they shouldn't they shouldn't assume that that this is some fancy that Dolores is some fancy uh, over the top you know experimental uh, cuisine that it's not traditional Mexican because I get that a lot well this isn't traditional Rancho was authentic right authentic authenticity like to what right that's so weird to say to, to who yeah it's authentic like what my mom didn't. Or create these recipes that have been handed on for you know hundreds of years that they're not they shouldn't be so hard pressed to be the one or the other in reality I want I wish they knew that Dolores is more of a not authentic but more of a representation of what Mexico is the problem is that unknowingly we sold it as no this is what Mexico is because my mom is cooking it we're now we're backtracking we're like no half the shit we ate at Rancho was not what we ate in Mexico this the stuff that you're having at Laura is not this is how I grew up this is what I ate so this is more representative of my region of my culture and I wish they they, they understood that um, and not traditions because tradition like tradition to our era right I could start doing this and this becomes tradition now right right, right. but I wish they knew that I wish they knew that this is more representative of where we come from versus what they thought my mom was amazing at. I wish they, they, they knew that. It took time to understand that. Because we get people like, right, this is a rancho, this sucks. <laughs> like, okay, thank you. They're literally trying to tell you how to do you. Right. That's and, and they don't take time to understand what we just talked about, right? Yeah, gotcha. And, and it maybe it's my fault for not you know, my, doing a bad job of explaining it, right? Because they, they see it so different. Like, oh, yeah, people are like, oh, this is so fancy. They feel uncomfortable. Okay. My greatest compliment is when I have Mexican people come in here and they sit here and they're like and they feel proud that this represents them. That's 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 my satisfaction. What would be one piece of advice or pieces of advice that you would have wanted to give to maybe your younger self or anybody who has been to El Rancho or has been to Dolores and they want to do, you know, their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um or just anything creative. Like, what, what were some, what would some pieces of advice you would want to impart on on your younger self or people who are trying, who are on the come up now? To not try to do everything yourself, because that's that's not good. Like, you, you can't do it all. Like, this is why I'm been cooking six days a week daily, because you need to you need to rely on other people. Like, I know my my weaknesses, right? My weaknesses are a plenty. I'm not a classically trained chef, right? Like I just, like I said earlier, like I, I've learned myself, but I wish I had the time to, to study more, right? I've, I read a lot, but I don't know enough. Trying to do everything yourself only limits your growth. If I would have known that a rancho eight years ago, we would have been better off. And, and things happen for a reason, but now I know that, right? Now I need to surround myself with, now the bar's great, you know, it's well taken care of, right? Marco or Horace, they all, I don't have, I have no idea what, kind of have an idea what wines we have, 
because they run it by me, but they're the ones that are buying. They're the ones that are ordering. Uh, they run things like, this is the cocktails we're doing. Oh, they're perfect. Uh, maybe it's a little off. But they're the ones that run the show in the front. I wish they had that in the kitchen. I had, when we first opened, we did have someone that worked for like six, seven months. Young, young cat. He was good. I wish I had him again or somebody like him, right, that I could feed off of because they bring another aspect that I don't have. And maybe we could work together. And eventually, my idea is to not be here a year from now. You know, I have a friend from Mexico that might be coming up. Like, I w- if he came up for a good year, I'd be golden. Because then I could, have, there's other pro- there's other, I have other projects in mind um, that I need to tackle. I can't do it if I have to be here. Like, I'm going to go downstairs and do some books. Yeah. Uh, and I don't have to I have to plan for a new menu soon. If I don't have the free time, uh, I, you know, how am I going to uh, operate? Like, you have to surround yourself with the right people. Having the right team in place, it, it only makes you better. That's what I wish I would have known eight years ago. Let, let things go. You, you can't control everything. And I blame my dad for that. Because, you know, they're, yeah, what do you mean? You, you, you work, you work. They teach you how to work, but they teach you not how to not to, to, yeah. to delegate and let yeah. go and let yeah. other people let other people shine with their strengths. If I could hire, when I hire, I don't hire people like me. I hire better than me. I suck at many things. I need people that make me better. That's what makes I, I, now I feel that makes me stronger. But you know, to eight years ago, I didn't know that. Well, final question. It's not even a question. Can on the, at the end here um, do this on every show. So as always. Anything you want to say, you want to promote, anything coming up, anything that you just want to get out there, any hot take, floor is yours, go for it. Well, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I wish like people took a little more time and, and not be so judgmental on like, well, oh, this isn't a Like I know like we were going to have that issue, and it comes up not as often as I thought it would. It comes up. Just enjoy it. Just you know, understand why, ask questions. Why are things different? Or, or, or what makes this different than Rancho, right? Or... Or just, you know, don't order a damn margarita. Like, we're about to take them <laughs> off the menu because it's, we have so many cocktails that, and I know the bartender's gonna hate it because then they're gonna get bombarded by like a, a six top with six different cocktails, right? But don't order a margarita. Come here and ask questions. Like, why is this? Like, why don't we have Patrona? Why don't we have stupid Casamigos? Because it sucks, right? Like, that's why we don't have that. And trust, and we they're good at, We've learned that, you know, we've, we've, we've created that where they trust us now, right? But the people that don't know us from Rancho and they come in here, they're kind of like, eh, you know, what, why is it, why isn't a burrito? Or why isn't there, uh, or why don't you have a pinata on the wall? Like that, like just ask questions and, and, and there's answers for that type of stuff. And just enjoy it. Like don't, obviously like I, I'll, I'll hate on you for drinking, you know, shitty tequila. Cause there is tequila for every level. But there's no excuses for shit of tequila. Like that. <laughs> it's too short for that. Yeah, yeah. No, screw that. Drink the good stuff. Or just enjoy it. Don't listen to me either. <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to end it. Uh, Joaquin, thank you hey, man, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. And with that, uh, until next time, everybody. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Cheers. And that's it for this episode of the Creative Capital Show. Thank you for listening. And a special thanks goes to this episode's guest, Joaquin Meza. The Creative Capital Show is hosted, recorded, edited, mixed, and produced by me, Jason Silva. You can listen to The Creative Capital Show over at our website, creativecapitalshow.com. 
we're also available on Anchor FM, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. If you like the show, please subscribe. Helps the show out a lot. And be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube. I hope you enjoyed the show, and until next time, keep on creating.